Let us worship God. book of Genesis, the 21st chapter, beginning with the 8th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, 
that in your light we may see light, that in your truth we may find freedom, that in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ, amen. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, playing with her son Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son Isaac. The matter was very distressing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for it is through Isaac that offspring shall be named for you. As for the son of the slave woman, I will make a nation of him also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Doesn't matter if you've broken 
A continuation from Genesis. When the water in the skin was gone, she cast the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Here ends the reading. Do something. These are the words that sparked things off. In the early hours of morning, on Saturday, June 28, 1969, police raided the Stonewall Inn on Christopher Street between 7th Avenue and Waverly Place in New York. Though it didn't have running water to clean glasses behind the bar, the toilets were backed up, and the crime syndicate that owned it was known for extorting patrons. The Stonewall Inn was one of the few places the gay community could gather, openly express themselves, and socialize. The decades leading up to this night had been difficult. Those suspected of being gay lost jobs, housing, education, privacy, basic rights of American citizenship. You could be arrested for wearing clothing deemed gender inappropriate. Gathering with other gay individuals was considered disorderly conduct. Bars and clubs who served them drinks lost their liquor license. Those who were outed lost family. There was no financial or emotional support in times of need, no sibling to go to when suffering heartbreak. The number of homeless gay teens grew. And as the story goes, what money they got from panhandling, they spent on the cover charge to get into the stone wall. They were hungry for home, 
for family, for freedom. Raids were not uncommon, but usually the mob was tipped off before they happened. This time, there was no warning. Employees and drag queens were the first targets. They were the easiest to find cause to arrest. Usually, everyone fled. But instead of dispersing this night, the patrons stayed. Standing in the street between 7th Avenue and Waverly Place, they stayed. As a woman wearing masculine clothing was being arrested, she kept trying to get back out of the police vehicle. The third time, the officer hit her head against the car. And she looked out to those gathered and said, do something. So they did. For five days, they rose up throwing pennies and rocks at first, then burning the stone wall down. Out of the closets and into the streets they marched, gay and proud. And every anniversary with rainbows and ruby slippers and dykes on bikes, we with them say it loud. In the Library of Congress, there's an archive of documentaries. And in one of them, there's black and white footage from 1968 at Reminder Day Picket. This was an annual demonstration that proceeded and helped give rise to Pride, held from 1965 to 69 on the 4th of July at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. In the film, along with footage of people staffing an information booth, soda being poured into cups, and the sounds of band music playing, there are people walking in a circle, holding picket signs with the names of gay action committees and things like liberty, equality, and opportunity written on them. And woven throughout this B-roll, there's a man in a blazer with a piece of tape on it that has written in permanent marker, spokesperson. And to the person with the camera, using the language of the time, he says, we are trying to address two things, that we are homosexual human beings and that we are homosexual American citizens. Everybody always remembers the first word in both of those phrases, homosexuals, and very conveniently always forgets the second and third words in each of those phrases, American citizens and human beings, and all that goes with them, all the rights and dignity, all that goes with being a human being and with being an American citizen. We are seeking recognition, equality. We are seeking our human dignity, dignity, our equality, our acceptance as the homosexuals that we are and have a right to be. Diversity, he says, doesn't have to imply threat.
though we would use different language today, the sentiment remains. That thing we do, dehumanizing someone before committing overt violence against them, is awful to confront. And we watch it, we see it play out in real time in the story of Hagar and Ishmael. It's part of what makes it so uncomfortable to read in worship without batting an eye, as if there's nothing to see here. Greg drew the short straw on that one. Thank goodness for the second half. When I think of Hagar as the one telling the story, I hear her saying to Abraham, to Sarah, to God, do something. This is your firstborn son. I let you borrow my womb to have a child, and now you are sending us out to die? But powerless with her, we watch the dehumanization happen. Now that Ishmael is perceived to be a threat, she no longer gets to be the person, Hagar. She's the slave woman. And he's no longer Ishmael, but the son of the slave woman. They lose their personhood. And the violence of that is awful. But she goes. And when the water runs out, she places Ishmael beneath a bush, a bowshot away. On my way to the Emerald City this week, I took a bit of a detour off the yellow brick road to the land of archery in the ancient Near East. The bow was a symbol of war. To shoot an arrow toward a city, a nation, a person, was to declare war. To be without a bow, with arrows pointed towards you, was a promise of death. Sometimes a bow was broken as part of making an agreement. And doing this was to say, I am putting my life in your hands. It was a vulnerable position to be in. A bow was your promise of life. An arrow carried many meanings, including cosmic ones. Anything that came from the sky, hail, snow, rain, lightning, was imagined to be the arrows of God or the gods. So when the flood rains stopped, God tells Noah and his sons with him, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, 
the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. The arrows of rain ceased. God's bow of war was hung in the clouds and became a promise of life. Like bows and arrows, depending on whether you find yourself a Noah or an Ishmael, water can also be a source of life or death. Lucky for little Ishmael, whose name foretells of God's listening care. Hagar opens her eyes to find a pool of water in the desert called the well of the living one who sees me. And death doesn't come. God is with them, and Ishmael grows up. And he becomes known as the great bowman, who not only holds the promise of life in his hands, but who becomes the father to a quiver full of children, including 12 chieftains, just as God promised, and the father-in-law to Esau, another beloved, even if passed over, firstborn son. Unsurprisingly, the Hagarites and Ishmaelites are often depicted poorly throughout Scripture and throughout history, misused to perpetuate anti-Semitism, racism, slavery. They become an excuse for making of someone an enemy, a not-chosen one, an other. They become the bedtime story, the twisted rationale for denying someone a life of freedom, equality, dignity. God told Hagar to submit to her mistress harsh treatment, they said. As if there was ever a time we didn't know it was wrong. No, when heard through the voice of Hagar, Theirs is a story not of the unworthy, not of the less than. Theirs is the story of the full spectrum of being human. It's the story of real pain and of profound love. A weapon of war was pointed at a child simply because his existence made others afraid. And against all odds, he and his clear-eyed mother survived. They found life in the desert, and the bow became a source of pride. In good time, eight years after the first parade, the rainbow flag made its debut. Dreaming of a symbol for gay pride, Harvey Milk approached the artist and drag queen Gilbert Baker to create one. 
Reflecting on it later in an interview, Baker said, our job as gay people was to come out, to be visible, to live in the truth, to get out of the lie. A flag fit our mission because it is the most powerful symbol of pride. It is a way of saying, this is who I am. And a rainbow is nature's flag in the sky. It's the flag of creation. May we have the eyes to see and the courage to believe for dreams really do come true. As we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God.
Let us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in word, in song, in silence, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Go forth, put down your arrows, hang high your bow, and dare to make the dream of love come true. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be love, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Amen.